This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. There's I'm drinking tea and hot water. It's tea with hot water. It's how you make tea. It's but I sound like You drinking. sound like golf. <laughs> Precious. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we'll answer your questions on if you should give a wedding gift for an elopement, what to do when your guests take over, even your leftovers, hostess gifts when visiting family, and who should pay for a plus one's plane ticket. All that plus two, that's right, two Postscript segments today, one in honor of the solstice, and because we received so many responses to the shoes on or shoes off Postscript segment, we've decided to do a special mailbag segment with your thoughts on shoe etiquette. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Let's talk big party etiquette. I went to a big party this weekend. Do tell. (laughs) It was the annual uh, select design party in Burlington. For those local listeners, they will... Some of them may have heard of it, I want to mm-hmm. say. It's a really fun party each year. I love it because it's. I think of it as the kickoff to winter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in fall and throughout Thanksgiving, people kind of have their own thing going on. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you, you, and you, and you, and we all live in this town, and it's going to be really cold, and now we're getting together. Yay! When you were describing it to me, I was thinking about how towns often have their gala events. In Boston, it's the Met Gala. In New York, it's its whole own thing. But even towns like Burlington have their their signature social events that define a season. Yeah, this is so not a gala, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it is, it's a really fun party. And I'm eternally grateful for my friend who works there for having kind of brought our group of girlfriends to it each year. And I thought I was there and I was reflecting on it. And I was thinking, like, wow, big party etiquette. Like, when you're at a party that's super loud because there's an awesome band and there's just so many people... You, it's you're, different it's, than a small abs- affair or an intimate gathering of friends. Absolutely. Like my friends that I, I usually actually go with, like, you know, carpool there with, we didn't do that this year. and We all arrived at different times and I got to connect with each of them. But just because you're moving around so much and there's so many people, I didn't get to like spend a ton of time with them. And it's it's just kind of one of those funny things where... At big parties, you kind of have to, I feel like, take on a super flexible role. Mm -hmm. And you want to say hi to lots of people, but maybe you don't spend as much time with individuals catching up as you would at, like, what you're talking about, kind of a house party where it is a little bit more intimate kind of a gathering. And I'm always worried that I'm offending people if I, like, if I'm like, oh, I got to go say hi over there. I got to go say hi over there. I I had a version of this happen to me at Thanksgiving. What happened? We had the large sending family Thanksgiving. So there's 25 
larger than the usual get-together of a couple aunts and uncles and cousins. And I found when I first got there, I was circulating, saying hi to everybody, some people I haven't seen in a couple years. Sure. And these are people I've known my whole life, and I want to really connect with them. And at the same time, the opportunity, it wasn't the perfect opportunity. Every room that you're in has five, six, seven people in it, and the conversation keeps moving, and it has to include everyone. You don't always have time to to invest in that personal connection one-on-one with someone. I found myself carving it out. My my Good. Aunt Anne is one of my favorite people. And right at the end of the whole weekend on Sunday, we were sitting by the wood stove and I turned to her and I said, you know, your son Joe, he looks as happy as I've ever seen him. And that, that was the thing that opened up a conversation where we're looking each other right in the eye. We're able to connect and talk about how our lives are going. And sort of creating that moment took a little bit of work and it took – in an atmosphere where the conversation was a little more sort of skip along, keep up, include everyone to sort of say, hey, I've got a moment right now. <laughs> let, let me let me talk about something serious with you. And, and I really appreciated that moment. I, I hope and think she did also. But uh, totally. it definitely made me think about how you observe the environment a little bit and take your social cues from it and it shifts, but how you can also have some control and with a little bit of planning, a little bit of thought. Um, you can prepare yourself for those larger social gatherings. And with this holiday season coming, we hear so much about these and the anxiety people have about them. Yeah. And if you just you can go into it with the expectation of I'm going to be able to have that moment of intimacy or that moment of closeness. You'll have to excuse me. My voice is is absolutely gone at this point. You're a hero and a it's, trooper. <laughs> this is what happens during the holiday season when Dan and I do so many interviews and it's just it's a lot of chatter. We're talking a lot this <laughs> time of year and when you attend parties with loud music and there's a lot of yelling to Uh talk to people I think if you go into those large parties with the expectation of I'm going to say hi I'm going to connect and then I'm going to follow up that's a really great way to do it I love the fact that my friend Natalie and I we're going to get a chance to follow up soon and my friend Marisa and I, I I can't wait to call her and be like let's get together for brunch let's get together for coffee I would love that like that to me is a really great way to think about those parties rather than trying to have the deep conversation about things, you know. It's another really good strategy. I want to high-five you. And funny, the the particular example that I just gave, I found myself following up with Aunt Anne and sent her the onion recipe for Uncle Les and the link to the holiday show that she really wanted. It's awesome. It's awesome. Well, with all that, do you think we should get to some of our listener questions? Let's do it. Okay. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Our first question is about wedding gifts for elopements. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I run a small business, six employees total. We run our office like a family and hang out socially outside of work. Our newest employee, caller Jane, has been with us for about three months. I have recently found out that within a few weeks of her arrival, she eloped with her boyfriend. It was a happy occasion for them, but they have been slow in telling people. Last week, another of our employees, call her Sarah, got engaged. She is having a large, traditional wedding. I will be invited and will be purchasing a wedding gift. How do I handle Jane's elopement? Do I buy her a gift as well? My initial thought was to happily congratulate her, which I did, but not to do anything further, as she was very private about her elopement, and I thought I would be honoring that. However, Sarah and Jane are both awesome employees, and I don't want to give an impression of favoritism or make anyone feel an afterthought. 
What can I do to appropriately celebrate both employees' happy weddings? Thanks for your help. A tale of two weddings. Oh, a tale of two weddings. I think a lot of people deal with this as a problem. One of the cues you can take is from Jane. Jane's not telling a lot of people about this. She's not getting eloped and then announcing it to the world and feeling like, you know, she has to make a big deal of it. So I would say that um, you could get her a, a small token gift, something so maybe an engraved picture frame. I know those are really easy gifts to do. Um, it's something simple. You could do that to acknowledge it. You also don't have to get her a gift at all. I think the two women have chosen to celebrate their weddings and their marriages in very different ways. And it's OK for your choosing to give a gift or not to reflect that. Elopements do not require the obligation of a gift that a wedding invitation does. So So just on a sheer etiquette standpoint, you don't have to get her a gift. If you wanted to make it feel more equal like you're talking about, absolutely go for it. But I would give Jane the gift privately. All the indicators that Jane has given you that she doesn't want a big fuss, follow. Keep it simple. Keep it tasteful. Keep it easy. Keep it light if you go for it at all. My thinking was exactly the same. And I I, I like the way you addressed it from those two perspectives, the point of etiquette. Without that invitation – to initiate the the traditional response of your reply to being invited to a wedding with a gift. I've actually heard mothers use that as a reason for their daughters not to get go through an elopement or 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 parents of the groom to do the same. Well, you know you won't get any wedding gifts You're then. You're just and, giving it all and up. And that's when they're like, you know, we don't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it is kind of funny. And I like your acknowledgement. This is not uncommon with so many people making so many personal choices about weddings now. If you choose not to follow those traditional forms, people aren't going to respond in the same traditional ways. Exactly. But I love the second point of etiquette you found there that at the workplace, it's really important for employers to treat employees the same. And that's a, that's another thing to be aware of here. And this isn't quite the same as a secret snowflake gift where you just have to give everybody on the same level the same thing. They're outside work behaviors <laughs> and decisions. Secret You're snowflake. laughing over there. I am. I'm totally cracking up. Secret snowflake? That's so cute. I've never heard of that before. I picked that up this season. I like it also. Okay. <laughs> We hope that helps. And A Tale of Two Weddings, I'm confident that you are going to do what feels right for your situation. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. This next question has to do with crossing the leftovers line. It begins, Dear Dan and Lizzie, I want to give a huge shout out to you both and to those who work on the podcast with you. That would be Hans Buto, and he is amazing, as well as Chris Albertine, also amazing. Your friendly banter and wonderful advice make my gym time and commute to work much more enjoyable. Ooh, keep running, keep running, <laughs> lift harder, lift harder. The situation I'm currently in has been tricky to navigate, but Thanksgiving really took the cake. Due to the passing of my mother-in-law at the beginning of the year and a job change, my husband and I have been living with my father-in-law for about nine months. He has been very gracious in opening his house to us and making us feel at home in what could have been a very awkward situation. Shortly after we moved in, he started seeing someone. After spending a little time with her, I quickly realized that she is not someone I was interested in pursuing a relationship with. And while I am friendly to her when she is in our home, I have made no extra effort to spend time with or talk to her outside of that. She can sometimes be overly assertive with her opinions and ideas. I offered to cook Thanksgiving dinner this year for a few close friends and family. It was my first time to cook the whole meal, and I was very excited about it. Halfway through dinner, while some of us were still eating, my father-in-law's girlfriend got up and started clearing the plates of those who were finished and then put the leftovers into Tupperware. She then promptly started doing all of the dishes, which was very distracting as we were still sitting in the eat-in kitchen because the dining room was too small to accommodate everyone. Closer to the end of the evening, I noticed all of the stuffing, which I had made, sitting in a large container and went to put it in the fridge. She quickly informed me that she was planning to take all of it home. I was so taken aback that I didn't know what to say. I was and still am upset by her conduct that evening. I understand that she was trying to be helpful, but I felt that it disrupted the entire evening, making it less enjoyable, and also that she took over my role as hostess of the dinner. I am unsure how to address this issue so it does not happen again in the future. I do not want to hurt my father-in-law's feelings, but I also want to be upfront. Do I need to say anything to him? Should I address the girlfriend directly in an email? And if so, how can I do so politely yet firmly? She is at her house frequently, so I see her on a fairly regular basis and don't want to make things awkward. Sincerely, Thanksgiving woes. Oh, woes. Oh, woes. I am with you on that. Thanksgiving stuffing is my favorite part of the meal. So this is like... A tragedy. This is a... Yeah. <laughs> tragedy, travesty, all of the above. Travesty. This is a travesty. I like them. I think both work. I don't actually think there's anything you can do at this point. I think that sending an email definitely is not the right way to go. Emails often, when you try to make them sound positive, come off neutral. When they sound neutral, which is polite but firm, they come off as negative. So I'm really glad you didn't want to send her an angry email because that would have come <laughs> off as like, ah! Relationship extinction level yeah. event. <laughs> nice yeah. category. 
But I do think that if we could rewind, if we could do this over in the moment, I might have done one or two things a little differently. How I'm curious, Dan, how would you handle the dishes part of it? Because they're eating in the kitchen. So doing the dishes, all of a sudden, that's the, how do you say it? Cacophony, cacophony. I always get the word <laughs> cacophony. wrong. Cacophony. Of, you know, all the silver and the, the glasses and everything, the water running. It's just a lot more added noise. As far as the dishes question, as a hostess, you really do have a role where you give some direction. And if I was in this situation, I might say, oh, oh, please, there are courses to come. Join us. We'll all get together and, and do that cleanup in a minute. Just something to give her some idea that, that as the hostess, you'd love her company at the table, mm-hmm. that you have a plan for how you're going to attack these dishes and leftovers. Do you think that because she's the person who owns the house's girlfriend, that maybe she felt, and there, yeah. are, there are friends there. I'm just wondering if she felt more like a hostess in this event, too. I, I, because I'm seeing a very helpful instinct in the new girlfriend here. Yeah. I would be prepared to allow some latitude. Okay. If I, I see her wanting to be helpful, wanting to play that hostess role, to assume some of those responsibilities, maybe being over eager to do it and overstepping her bounds, but giving her the the credit of having really good intentions. If she didn't follow my cues as a hostess and respond in the way that I'm hoping, I would allow some latitude there. You and wouldn't be like, put those dishes down. I insist that you join us at this table immediately. Yeah. Did you not see that I had not put my silver in the position to indicate I'm done my meal yet and everyone at the table hadn't done the same thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. so we're not going to clear yet. And <laughs> I, I, Don't just, do that. <laughs> I, I yeah. wouldn't be too insistent. I'd give that direction as a hostess because people yeah. are looking for it. But if she didn't pick up on my cues, I, wouldn't, I, I would pick my battles, particularly with some Someone who it looks like this relationship is an important relationship, if not a close one. I think you should weigh in on the stuffing because that's my thing. And well, so I am not. And me too. I, I think we uh, talked about our favorite bites. I would have been like taking off the earrings and being like, all right, let's go. That stuffing stays here. Well, I heard you're pleasant. <laughs> oh, you're and, giving me more credit than I deserve. And amused voice saying something like, oh, hold on a minute. I'm going to divvy that stuffing up and make sure everybody gets some. So simple, so quick, but I think you can be very direct as a hostess about this because you're talking about stuffing, and it's a thing. It's, it's a, a physical thing. thing. And it only happens as well like we do stuffing every week, you know? You're not I trying mean, to correct her behavior here. Right. You're just trying to divvy up the stuffing. I would also say that I have noticed that when you do these things, it's a little passive-aggressive, but when you do these things out loud in front of the other guests, and it's not a correction on her. It's the, oh, hang on, let me divvy that up so that everyone can take some home. The position she's now in if she tries to take all that stuffing home is so rotten (laughs) that, like, the likelihood of her telling you no when you cooked it and she's the guest and all that, it's it's pretty low. So I would say that, you know, that's one where, oh, hang on, I want to make sure everybody gets some is a great tactic. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I agree. I can really see how this behavior could bother you as a new hostess. And I really want to leave you with the advice of, of try not to let it that, that feeling linger for too, too long. I don't think there's a lot you can do after the fact, like Lizzie said. But I do think as a, as a hostess in the future, you can feel more secure about your role, giving some direction, being clear about your lines and your boundaries. You said you were so taken aback. You didn't know what to say. And that happens. That happens all the time. And sometimes that moment gets past us. I mean, how many times have, have any of us been somewhere later and thought to ourselves, oh, that was the perfect thing to say. If I just said that, it would have been There's awesome. There's a French <laughs> phrase for that, and I forget what it is, but something about on the stairs. Yeah, uh, Sure. <laughs> Please, if anyone knows it, I'd <laughs> like to in. hear it. Educate us. <laughs> I really don't think you need to talk to your father-in-law about this particular situation. I really do think that it's fully within your control to handle this moving forward. I hope that helps. Once again, I want to congratulate you on successfully hosting your first Thanksgiving. Bravo. More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors. Our next question has to do with hostess gifts for family visits. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I love the podcast, and I try to apply your etiquette rules as often as I can. My husband and I have only been officially married for about five months. I'm very fortunate to have wonderful in-laws that I enjoy visiting and spending time with. Each visit is filled with good food, great conversation, relaxation, and fun activities. I always look forward to spending the holidays with them. This year, we will be flying down to visit my in-laws, and I was planning on bringing something as a hostess gift, something from the local bakery, a game everyone can play, or some small token of my appreciation for their hospitality. This would be given the night we arrive and is totally unrelated to Christmas gifts we bring. My husband feels this gift giving is rude as they are officially family and this is the family home where he grew up. So in his view, it's now partially my house, too. He thinks it's awkward because they don't have a gift to give back. And by giving this gift, I'm implying that I'm an outsider as it's not something the immediate family does. I can see his point, but I also want to express my gratitude for all the nice things they do to prepare for our visit. What are your thoughts? Should I continue to bring a hostess gift or do I abandon the practice for my in-laws as they are now officially family? Thanks, M. Thanks for this question because this is a, a subtle point of etiquette. There's family dynamics involved and host-guest relationships as well. I appreciate where your husband's coming from, that you are so close, you are so intimate. It really just isn't necessary. This is my home. This is the place I grew up and he wants you to feel that comfortable there. I also appreciate where you're coming from, that you like showing up with something in hand. That does make you feel good. And there's no reason that that has to engender a feeling of reciprocity, that they would have to give you a gift back as well. I know Cousin Lizzie is a big fan of showing up with something that's going to include and involve everyone. Well, for Christmas, I know my sister loves Mirabelle's croissants. And so oh, I yes, found out does. that you can actually buy Mirabelle's This is not an advertisement for them, by the way. This is literally what I do every year. You can buy like a set of six of them 
and you take them out the night before, put a tea towel over them, bake them in the morning, and you have fresh, real, buttery French croissant for oh. breakfast. And that's amazing. So every year I show up with like three packages because we all like to bake them for the next couple days to come. And this is to your parents' house. This is to my parents' house, which, you know, I'm traveling 30 minutes to get there, not even. You know, it's it's barely that. It is to my parents' house. But it's my way of bringing something that's a contribution. Other years I've brought oranges and done fresh squeezed orange juice in the morning because that's something I love more than anything else. That's my favorite thing. I so fresh squeezed orange juice and croissant sounds like, nice. Right? This starts to be like a really special breakfast. And so <laughs> that's kind of my thinking is there's no reason why you can't do something that would just be a little contribution to the entire holiday weekend. Showing a little forethought, showing a little just thinking about the people and who's going to be involved. And if it's not a particular gift item that they then keep, maybe they're less likely to feel like that's the beginning of the gift exchange part of the holiday. That's why I consumables so much. They're so great for that exact reason. We hope that helps. We don't think there's an exact rule of etiquette to observe here. This yeah. is definitely something I would talk to your husband about, talk to him about how you feel about it, and be willing to listen to his perspective also. Good luck. I hope you enjoy your holiday. Whatever you decide to do, I'm sure it's going to be a smashing success. To pay or not to pay, that is the question. I'm so glad I actually have an etiquette question to ask, so I may preface it with my praise for you and your program. It is indeed awesome, and you two put me in such a good mood every week. Yay! Question time. My roommate is going to her best friend's wedding out of town and has invited her boyfriend of six months to come as her plus one. Who pays for the plane ticket? My roommate, because she is inviting him as a guest, or her boyfriend, because they would be going as a couple and should split costs? This is why I, myself, am single. (laughs) Because I'd want to pay for everything but can't ever afford to, so I just don't even bother dating. (laughs) Thank you so much for your thoughts and your podcast. Mondays never come soon enough. Yours, Flying Solo. Oh, Flying Solo. I like your humor. Me too. (laughs) I don't think this is that fraught of a question. I think that... I think as a couple, you discuss it. The one thing I would say is that if the boyfriend has has never met the best friend, you know, really doesn't know them, I put it on the person who was invited, who is who knows the couple to be married. I put it on them to buy the gift for the wedding. Okay. But in terms of the travel arrangements, I think that's something where I would turn to someone I've been dating for six months and say, hey, my best friend's getting married. She's given me a plus one to the wedding. I would so much love for you to come. You know, it's down in Georgia, and and I know that's a that's a trip and a flight, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And it gives them a chance to say, you know what, I really don't have the budget for it. And then you can decide whether you'll offer and say, oh, well, you know, I do – I have enough to be able to cover both tickets, and, you know, she's paying for the hotel because I'm a bridesmaid, so – we'd be covered that way. Or it gives you a chance to say, I just wanted to check in because I didn't want you to feel obligated to be buying into these expenses that, you know, it's not your friends, I understand. But I wanted to include you if you wanted to go. Exactly, exactly. Within each individual couple, you're going to wind up having different dynamics. Sometimes one person is a little bit, you know, more flush and they can afford to take care of things. Other times it is going to be that split. 
It might be a split between buying the tickets and paying for the hotel room if you're not in the wedding party. I think it just depends on the individual couple and they should talk about it. She might even say, I really want you to come. I would love to be able to afford to pay for your ticket, but unfortunately I can't. And therefore, I really wanted to make sure kind of you knew going in what the costs might be associated with it. But I do understand the feeling of when someone is a plus one being taken care of the entire time, not putting any travel expenses on. But when it comes to a boyfriend or girlfriend of six months, you're really in a relationship with that person. And I think there's probably a lot of give and take financially that's going on between you. So I would venture to guess that it's okay for you to broach the subject and ask the question rather than just assume you have to pay everything. I really like that tip, too, about you cover the wedding gift. Yeah, I, that's one. I don't know why, but I'm like, yeah, you, you cover the gift because it's a little more personal, you know. I don't know. Flying solo. I truly hope that that helps your roommate. I hope she feels confident having that conversation with her boyfriend. Or if she's able to afford both plane tickets and all travel expenses, I hope she feels confident just offering that. Truly, truly, truly. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a message for us on our answering machine at 802-866-0860 or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know that you want it on the show. our first postscript today is a little bit of a bonus. And Lizzie and I were thinking about this podcast landing on December 21st. And it's almost impossible for me to think about the 21st or 22nd of December and not think about the solstice. Here in Vermont, the shortest day of the year is celebrated with a small degree of fanfare. There are people that notice it because the days do get shorter and shorter. And while the winter will continue to get colder, the days will get longer from this point on. And that makes it a very special day. And it makes it a little easier to bear those really cold winter days when you know that every day you're getting just a little more light and you're getting a little bit closer to that springtime and summer sunshine. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about the solstice and a particular family tradition that I so enjoyed growing up that was a tradition that really helped link the Senning and Post families. My father so enjoyed meeting my mother's parents and in particular one of the things that he liked was a solstice party that they threw early on in my parents' relationship and – my grandfather, Poppy, Bill Post, had built an enormous bonfire, the kind of bonfire you have to call and tell the local fire department about so they don't show up thinking that that there's some problem. But you have to explain the glee and the glint in Poppy's eyes at lighting things on fire or blowing things up or setting off fire. The man okay. was born on the 4th of July Thank you. and truly believed that fireworks were made for him in celebration of him. It was like... 
He, it's he a twinkle. Im- he was impossible to buy gifts for our grandparents because yeah. they had everything they wanted. So it was always a challenge. Who could get them the best Christmas gift? And I nailed it as a college student when I showed up with an fireworks. enormous box of fireworks yeah. one year. And my the, the, my grandfather turned into a child in front of my very eyes. Well, it was it, absolutely phenomenal. Casey tells a story about when they blew something up because, like, they had to move some land. I don't know. It was something. Well, when they got it. the blasting license and got the dynamite. Yeah. I mean, this is like we're talking <laughs> gleeful, gleeful, yeah. gleeful man. And so tell them the so setup back to the for the fire. Tell them the setup. So it started with a zip wire, a wire attached to the peak of a three-story barn at the back of the property. And they ran a wire that came all the way down to this prepared bonfire by a pond that was, you know, several hundred feet away, about football Yards. field yeah, away. A hundred, yeah, and a they, they put a torch on a zip wire and they lit it at the barn and sent it through the night and it flew down <laughs> the zip wire into this enormous pyre and erupted into flame. Anyway, it was a an epic solstice party that we still talk about to this day. And my father from that point on would send a solstice bouquet to my grandparents at the holiday season. It would arrive a couple days before the Christmas holiday and there was usually a centerpiece that would sit on the holiday table. But it was from John Senning and it was specifically for the solstice. And so many of the holiday traditions that we that we love so much have to do with light and celebrating or, or acknowledging in their celebration qualities of light and <laughs> I like to remember the solstice, the shortest day of the year, and think about the return of light at this particular time of year and, and the way it it can really cross cultural traditions to think about just the length of the day. <laughs> Thank you for listening to a little reminiscing and uh, indulging us this holiday season. On to a postscript that's really a lot of your thoughts. Absolutely. We got so many responses to our shoes on, shoes off debate especially from Canadians who have an interesting and different perspective. And so we decided to choose a few and share them with you today. The first one begins, move to Canada. No, really, I live in Alberta, Western Canada, and no one, I mean no one here, leaves their shoes on in the house. To do so would be unspeakable, and to expect a host to accommodate guests' shoes past the immediate entryway is even more unheard of. I suspect the underlying reason for this is our snowy weather that lasts for six months of the year. Although, even in the summer months, all guests dutifully remove their shoes upon entering someone's house. It's just understood. I remember watching American TV shows growing up and being perplexed when characters were shown wearing shoes inside. Didn't their feet get sweaty? In my family's house, even on Christmas Day, you will find me in my party dress wearing tights with my favorite moccasins. No one can see your feet at the dinner table anyway. So I welcome you and all Americans to embrace our socked and slippered ways, warm feet and clean floors. What more can you ask for? Chelsea. Hooray for moccasins. I know, right? I love slippers and clean floors too, Chelsea. The next response begins, I have always taken my shoes off inside and living in Korea for the past few years has cemented this behavior. Here, shoes off is such a standard that movers paused while carrying our heavy couch to remove their shoes. Also, any traditional restaurant where you sit on the floor is strictly shoes off. That being said, it's not always practical, so our friends here, mostly Western expats, have arrived at a few informal rules. For small gatherings and casual parties, everyone takes their shoes off. For larger or more formal theme parties where shoes are a more integral part to an outfit, people leave their shoes on. This seems to work for everyone and respects the wants of both the host and the guests. Simon. 
P.S. <laughs> My understanding of tuxedo etiquette is that it's fine to wear in the afternoon if the event continues uninterrupted into the evening. I wouldn't wear a tux in the morning. That's what morning dress or a stroller are for. Here's a great resource on the history and details of men's formal wear, and he links to a site called blacktieguide.com, and I went and checked it out, and I'm going to add my seal of approval as well. Mm. For discussions on men's formal attire, I recommend taking a look at blacktieguide.com. Very nice. I got to say, I completely agree with the small casual gathering, shoes off, formal parties, shoes on mentality. That's me. That's me all the way. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I was tickled to see the great shoe debate made a repeat appearance on the show, particularly since this topic was on my mind for some time after it was first discussed many, many episodes ago. I was surprised, however, that in the revisiting of this heated debate, there was no mention of cultural traditions that require the removal of shoes before entering a home. As I know you and many of your savvy listeners are already aware, in many Eastern cultures, shoes are never worn inside the home. Although I was born in the States, this was certainly a rule my Korean parents imposed when I was growing up. I suspect that at least for Korean culture, the tradition has to do partly with the fact that families used to eat, sleep, and engage in other household activities on the floor. Dining took place at low tables, and mats were pulled out each night for sleeping. Couches, tall chairs, raised beds, and other so-called Western furniture were introduced relatively recently. To this day, while many Korean families now have Western-style furniture, the floor is still a common place to sit or lie. Even I, raised in both Korean and American cultures, still prefer sitting on the floor over the other plentiful seating options in my apartment. The no-shoe rule is not simply about cleanliness. Floors are cleaned frequently. Rather, the aversion to indoor shoe wearing is culturally rooted. To me, wearing shoes inside my parents' home would be akin to putting my feet up on the table while eating dinner. Despite all this, as a modern 30-something Korean-American woman, I do not ask my guests to remove their shoes before entering my apartment, even though I continue to do so. While I involuntarily cringe every time I see shoes worn inside my home, I probably would cringe more seeing my guests squirm in discomfort while removing their shoes against their will. So I keep my mouth shut. I hope this adds another dimension to the great shoe debate. Sincerely, Sarah. Thank you for sharing, Sarah. And I so appreciate your hosting instincts there, (laughs) just uh, putting your guest's comfort above your own. Our last response begins, I think there may be some regional subtleties that you may not have heard of. I live in the upper Midwest, an area that was settled heavily by Scandinavian and German immigrants. The custom in that part of the world is to take off your shoes when entering a house. And it was one of many things that immigrants brought with them. Even today, a large percentage of households still observe this. So it's not considered particularly rude here to ask guests to take off their shoes when they enter, especially in winter. I guess it's because most people are aware that there's a good chance they'll be asked and know to be prepared for it. The interaction feels to me a lot like making a guest feel comfortable in your home, to be honest. Shoes go here, coats go there, the bathroom is that way, and dinner will start at 6. Drinks are on the table. Can I get you started with something? (laughs) I do, however, agree with Dan's comment that a sign asking people to take off their shoes is too cute by half. And Lizzie's comment that the phrase too cute by half is a really neat one. (laughs) Thanks very much, Laura. I just want to thank all of our listeners who wrote in on this subject because I've learned I learned so much, you know, I I knew that in Eastern cultures shoes were removed, but I loved hearing someone talk about it from the perspective of having grown up in a Western culture with Eastern 
roots and hearing about the Scandinavian and German influence and hearing from our friends in the Great White North as to how things go up there. To me, it's one of the best part about you, our listeners, is that you are invested and you share so much of what you know with us. And that's just going to help make us better etiquette experts in the future. So thank you very, very much. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Today's Etiquette Salute begins. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I would like to send an Etiquette Salute to a complete stranger. I live in New York City, and this evening, while riding the subway home from work, I noticed a woman nearby me who was crying. You see, a little bit of everything on the subway, and seeing someone in tears is unfortunately an all-too-common occurrence. Most often, other passengers, myself included, will look away so as not to pry, and until tonight, I thought that was the polite thing to do. But tonight, a fellow passenger reacted to this woman in such a kind, thoughtful, and classy way that my mind is forever changed. This fellow passenger made eye contact with the crying woman, put her hands together in a sign of prayer, and simply bowed her head. With one simple gesture, she acknowledged and sympathized with this other woman, and it had a profound effect. The crying woman responded with a smile and seemed truly appreciative. A few stops later, it turned out both women were exiting the train at the same time. The woman who had bowed her head placed a hand on the other woman's arm, and I overheard her say, That was me yesterday. The two women hugged, kissed each other on the cheek, and then went their separate ways. It was a beautiful moment to witness, and I know I will remember it for a long time to come. I hope I can be even half as compassionate and graceful as this amazing stranger the next time I see someone in need. Sincerely, an appreciative New Yorker. Well, you brought a tear to my cousin's eye. I um, thank Should, you so you much. You can't tell them when I cry for over the sharing that with us. I, I um, we hear that a lot about really brusque and difficult New Yorkers, and it's it's really nice to hear about the humanity that that happens in that city as well. Thank you so much. That was lovely. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for spending some of your week with us. And remember, there's no show without you. So please send us your etiquette questions, your comments and suggestions, and of course, your etiquette salutes. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Buto. 